Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. Welcome. See various visitors here this morning. I don't know you all. I know some of you. It's good to have you here this morning with us. Thank our brethren that have already spoken and shared and from God's word this morning as well. For you visitors, I've been preaching through the book of Ephesians, and we are in Ephesians chapter 5, and we are ready to start in verse 22 of Ephesians 5. But I will not be preaching too much from there. I feel like I need to take a little bit of a step back here. It's still connected with the subject, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But I plan to, Lord willing, starting after this sermon, by the grace of God, woe is me, is how I feel, but to preach a series of messages on the Christian home, starting with marriage, and I'm not sure how many messages that will be. It's part of the blessings and the challenges of expository preaching. It keeps you um, on track as to where the passage is speaking. And so I want to I want to do that, and I don't want to apologize for that. I do feel a bit vulnerable um, in preaching that. I, I noticed that many home ministers are hesitant to preach on a few things, that being one of them. Um, I think it's just because of the woe is me feeling. You have grown up with me. You know me. You know my faults. And um, so I don't preach this as a perfect example by any means. But I want to I want to preach this because I think it is God's Word and I think it's important. And I think it makes a tremendous difference in, in the lives of our homes, our churches, and on. This study will be good for me. Uh, it already has been, as I've pondered and thought and studied some on it. The last year, we've had quite a few weddings. Uh, it feels like we're catching up. We had a famine for a while. And now this last year, I don't know how many, I didn't count. I would say close to a half a dozen, maybe more. And that's good. I think that is the way it should be. I've actually been to two weddings in the last two weekends myself. And so the start of a new home is on my mind along with where Ephesians has brought me. And although weddings are a joyous time and lots of hope, I, I can't help at those weddings to observe and to watch and to wonder with some trepidation, sometimes with some worry, as to how this is all going to turn out. Will it, will it be good as it seems on the wedding day? Twenty years goes by really fast, and a lot happens in that time. I think it was the preacher said something like, it's not the wedding day that counts, but it's all the other days that count. 
will these young couples, and we have some here, be, be willing to do the hard work that it's going to take to have a godly home? Will they make it? Our homes are, in a sense, you could think of them as the headwaters, the beginning, the source of our churches, our communities, our countries, and, and, and in a way, the whole world. It, it, is the, it is the condition of the home. In the condition of the home, it, of course, affects everyone within that home very much. I think very deeply and in ways that we don't even know the way that it, it shapes us, both for the good and for the bad. But, of course, the results of that home are far more reaching than just the home unit itself. As the family and all families do, their severe, severe reaches out, and their influence, their contacts, their friends. It trickles down through schools, through churches, through workplaces, through societies, through ends up being leaders in governments, leaders in churches. And the character of people, of children, their values, their beliefs, their manners, the simple things, courtesies, the way we view and treat other people, our work ethic, our view of God, um, is largely shaped in those early years in the home. God designed and set up the home in a specific, orderly way. And he did it for a purpose. And I'm not going to go into a lot of that, but just briefly, his design was two Christian people, the man and a woman, first of all, falling in love and committing themselves to each other for life. And then after that, this God-fearing father and mother, if the Lord wills, children are born into a stable relationship. And into a relationship where both the much-needed benefits, nurturing that comes from both the mother and the father, work together to raise that child in a wholesome manner. But unfortunately, much of our society is not that way. We know that. It's, you don't have to look far. There's sinful and brokenness all around us. And many times it's all backwards. The children are born first. They're born out of a commitment. They're born out of, uh, of a godly environment. Many, many children don't know who either their father or maybe their mother was. I, just this last week I was in the post office in line and a man in front of me, probably in his upper 20s or 30s, was, I think he was filling out an application for his passport. And I, I was just waiting, I didn't have anything else to do, I was just waiting on him. And I heard him, the lady trying to help him. And the one thing he said is, uh, she wanted to know what his mother's maiden name was. And he says, I don't know what my mother's maiden name is. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, his stepmother's maiden name, he knew. Uh, she asked what his occupation was. Well, he's currently unemployed. And I don't, I don't know anything more about the man. 
But I just thought it's an example of a hurting man that who knows what his life story was. Born into a broken home. And probably a fair amount of dysfunctional um, life he's had. The foundations of our world are are so much either built or destroyed by what starts in the home and what happens in the home. Most of us here have had the privilege to grow up in a relatively decent home. Um, it varies, but for the most part, a Christian home. And that is a blessing, more than we can ever imagine. But before we pat ourselves on the back too much, I think we need to also realize that although often our, our homes, um, they look nice, they are nice in a lot of ways on the outside, are they always healthy? Is there always godly order in our homes? Yes, we don't have children out of wedlock. We stay together for the most part. But what about behind the scenes? Hurting marriages are, are in our churches. Hurting marriages where a mother is, a wife is uh, drowning, overwhelmed, lonely, depressed. Fathers that feel disrespected and disillusioned and just mushing on through life. Hurting children that, it varies, maybe insecure or undisciplined and spoiled. Emotionally neglected. And the brokenness or the needs are not always easy to see. And in our, in our society, we respect each other's space. We respect each other's privacy. And I, even in our own selves, as we try to be honest and analyze our own life and our own marriage, sometimes we can see the faults and the failures. And it's still hard to know how to fix some problems. And so my desire, as we go through some of these messages and study God's Word and try to break some of this down, hopefully into practical applications, that it is not a time of pointing fingers and criticizing and finding fault, but it will be a time where we can all um, grow and improve and commit to a stronger and more godly marriage and home. And if we do that, all of us will collectively be blessed and and the effects will go out just like I mentioned earlier in all of society. I know that families, as life goes uh, goes on and we get older, hurts come. People make wrong choices, even in our own families. And um, I am in no way highlighting any of that and trying to add to that. But I think it's an important subject, and uh, I think together as we look at God's Word, we can try to to learn from some things here. Now, like I said, I kind of give all that introduction in a way I feel like I kind of give you all this, and then I go a different direction. And I'm not really going a different direction, 
But I feel like it's a little bit more of a backing up, a zooming out, a broader view. But to me, what I'm trying to do here is give a little bit more of a foundation for the following messages. And I would like to primarily focus on God's order, just the order, and that God is a God of order. And we'll get into that in home life eventually, but I want to step away from the home a little bit. And not only is God try to try to just see the order that he put in place, but to try to maybe, if we study a little deeper, can see the history and the why of some of the order, possibly. We, don't under, we can't understand God's mind in all things. But at least for me, as I, as I kind of backed away from this and tried to understand, look at this from a broader perspective, it just helped me see that the home is a part of the picture, very important part. And not only, to, again, to see the order of God, but the heart of God's order, the why he would put this order in place. And for example, I could have this morning just jumped right in at Ephesians 5.22, and it says this, just, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And just go for it. And just tell you to do that. And um, we could expound on that. And we plan to get there uh, eventually, but... I think there's a context here, and if you read a little bit more, it already gives you a little different context. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And so there's, there's a lot to this, and I, I think it's easy to get on bunny trails and to teach things in a way that God did not intend them to be taught and lived out. So this morning, we will go back to Genesis but and we'll be there in a little bit. But I don't know how you all view order this morning. Structure. There's a lot that's in in order, and we'll touch on some of that. Um, I have come to appreciate and to love order in my life. Um, I I don't feel like I'm the best at it. I want to be. Um, I'm not always very orderly and organized as I'd like to be. My wife is much better, and I enjoy the benefits of that. But order does so many things. And order means various, we can use that word in different ways. So maybe I need to clarify that. But I think as we talk about order, we're talking about a couple different definitions at once. So I want to read to you a little bit, a few meanings of order to put in, in order, to arrange that would be one thing. Uh, you can give a command or a directive. That's an order. It's the state of peace and freedom from confusion and unruly behavior. It's respect for law or proper authority. That's part of order. A regular or harmonious arrangement. It's a rank or a level. There's, there's order in that. And then there's this kind of order that's the customary, customary mode of procedure. You do things in a certain way. 
And so all of those things overlap a little bit. And they all, all with this, this picture of God's order. I, I believe order is, an, is a part of God's character, an attribute of God. Some people are, are, are just very orderly. Everything they have, their pickup, their car, their place, their garage, everything is just neat as a pen. Makes you nervous being there, maybe. And I admire that in a lot of ways. And, and I'll touch on that maybe a little bit more. But I think as good as that is, we need more than that. We can have homes that are neat as a pen on the outside. We can have churches that are very, nothing is out of line, at least to the eye. There's, we'll talk about some wrong kinds of order or some dangers in order. But first of all, I just want to back up. Let's go back to Genesis 1, and I want to read this familiar chapter. And we usually think of this as the creation story. I would, and it is. And, but I would like for you, as we read this, to notice and think about God organizing a world. And I, I thought about different places. Of, for example, Jason Trock's place the last while. That place where he lives now, um, I remember running cattle over in, in there. It was just nothing but blackberries. But over the course of time, he developed that place, cleared the brush, made in a lane, drilled a well, built a house, and you, you can see it now, and cleared out the brush. That place speaks that of, of a, um, someone having order, someone developing. There's a, not a creator, but in a sense, a creator of that place. And that is the picture I get of the world. Only God actually created the stuff. He didn't just build it. Think about that as you go through. I'm going to read most of this chapter in uh, chapter 1, if not all of it. I'll see the last few verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form, void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning was the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. 
and the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light unto the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the great light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God sent, set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light unto the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly and moving creatures that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth and in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him, he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in the, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth. Wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so, God had more than a factory and an assembly line of just creating things. He, as he created things, he made an order. He made an environment. He made it a, an existence. He, as he created the light, it was dark, and he brought light, and it was before the sun. It must have been from himself, a power that drove back the light. The next thing he did was there was water and earth, and he, he made some areas with water for some creatures. He made the land for some other animals and people to live in. And you start to see an order just start to happen as he goes through this. Once the dry ground was made, he started planting trees and herbs. And the one thing that stood out to me, both with the fish and the trees and the animals, they all, all were 
predictable that they would reproduce after their kind. It, was, they didn't, it wasn't just some random thing. They had seeds. It was going, they were all to be fruitful. They were all to replenish and continue the cycle of life. He created the sun then to rule the day and the moon and the stars to rule the night. And he split a 24-hour day into day and night. And created all the creatures, the birds and the fish and the beasts. And then God created man and woman in their image, in the image of God. And part of, part of just touching on a little bit of that, I won't go into that too much at this point, but Adam and Eve were the, the glory of creation. And I think maybe in a sense the creation was created for Adam and Eve, or they were the crowning jewel of, of creation. And it, they were in the image and the likeness of God, something that, someone that God could communicate with and fellowship with. And so as you think about the earth and the, after that first week, there was an ecosystem that was in place where everything functioned. It was on time. It was predictable. The, the sun always rose in the east and went down in the west. He never switched that around for variety, just for fun. It was very predictable. The earth always rotated and spun at the same time, giving earth, all the places on earth, a day and a night. Sun to grow things, night for things to, people to sleep. I'm not sure what the seasons were like before the flood. It doesn't really talk about that, but it definitely says after the flood in Genesis that in Genesis 8, God said that as long as the earth remaineth, there is seed time, there will be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night. And that picture that I, I want you to see in creation in the world and before sin marred all that. Was, was an order that was predictable. It was scheduled. It brought security. All the needs of, the, of everyone in that little realm was met. There was plenty of provisions. There was, it was a peaceful place. There was rest. And maybe as important as anything in chapter 3, then we see that there was fellowship with God and connection with God between man as he came in the cool of the day. And he commanded Adam and Eve and, and also and Noah to go forth and multiply, be fruitful and replenish the earth. And I don't understand the heart of God in all this, but it seems like that this was for God's glory and his enjoyment to have an earth and a people that he could commune with. God's creation and his order, to me, is a type or a picture of the Christian home and what the Christian church should be like. The purpose of the Christian home, the purpose of the Christian church, isn't just to, to avoid conflict. It is God's way, just like he set up the earth, he gave us 
the, the church, order for the church and order for the home so that we can have all these, these uh, benefits, but, but the most important thing in all that peace and security and harmony is that we multiply and replenish the earth and continue to give God the glory. And that is the call of both the home and the church, both not just physically, but spiritually, to be a, a place, a haven, a garden of Eden that is a place that God can be, God can fellowship, God can be a part of. In chapter 2, verse 25, and I'll probably get to this in another message, but another thing about God's order, when we stay under God's order, you see how Adam and Eve, it says they were both naked and they were not ashamed. And the reason for that is because they had not sinned. They were under God's blessing. They had followed his order. They did everything that he said. But the minute that Adam and Eve both stepped out of God's order, and they both did it, they were ashamed. And they hadn't sinned against each other. They had sinned against God. And yet they were ashamed and they hid. And there's a lot, I think, packed into that there. But if I can impress upon you just one point this morning to, to go, it would be that a high regard and a high respect for the way that God lays out the commands and order for us in all areas of life and to take that serious. And as we can easily see with Adam and Eve how they just ruined it, messed it up, they had everything that they could want. Why would they fall for that silly piece of fruit and forever change their life. Homes and marriages, we have parameters, we have guidelines, and yet in our fallen nature we tend to step out of our place, and it causes all kinds of chaos and unrest. It seems like there's a better way. There's a better way than the way that God has said. And so I want to leave that, lay that as our, our foundation. Now, a couple things as we go into, I want to talk a little bit more just practically about order. But a couple warnings about order, maybe. There is a danger of a kind of order that is, is not godly. And we, we can just almost default to that. Some people with certain characters can. It is an order that is done in a cold, systematic um, harsh, militaristic way. Things are in order. But there's no love. We love the order more than the people. As long as my home is cleaned up, I can stomp all over my children or my wife or my whoever. But order is top priority. And that is not a godly order. And sometimes a wife or a husband can, in a ungodly sort of a way pressure each other and ruin our relationship over some of these details. Godly order has life. Godly order has love. And I want, I want to take you back just briefly to Genesis 1-2. I think it's a very key verse, at least to me, in, in thinking about 
this. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And And I love that. If you remember a few messages back, we talked about the Spirit of God and what the Spirit was. The Spirit is that pneuma, that life, that breath of God. It's what took the form. You can have a mannequin of a man laying on the ground, a corpse, both physically and spiritually, but it's the breath, the Spirit of God, that makes it alive, that makes it more than just order and form. And so from the very beginning, and that was what created the fellowship between God and Adam and Eve, was the Spirit of God that moved upon and was involved in setting up order. So God is a God of... Godly order is life, it's warmth, it's love, along with the order. And we, we see that when Adam and Eve sinned, they were afraid. And all of a sudden, that, that fellowship was missing. So as we consider order in our home, order in the church... I think there's always that tension between falling falsely into pursuing order in a cold-hearted way that stomps all over relationships and the hearts of people. And yet order is important. Just a few practical areas in everyday life. As I thought about just bringing this a little bit more closely home, about the differences of order. And I don't know what all some of you do for your occupation. Um, I have a construction business, and so it involves pickups and tool trailers, shops, shop. And probably my tool trailer would be as good of an example as anything. There is hundreds of tools inside of a tool trailer, and maybe there's sometimes a half a dozen or ten guys trying to work out of a tool trailer. And so those, those tool trailers just tend to gravitate to be a, a mess. Uh, things get thrown in, and every once in a while we need to go back and put things in order. My business isn't, isn't making money. What we do isn't uh, being orderly to make money. That isn't my, my, my business is to build, to do construction. But order produces, brings up the level of Productivity in a lot of different ways. If you can't find a tool, if the tool trailer's a mess, um, there's a lot of other ways. There's the uh, order of how we're going to do something. Who's going to be in charge? There's, there's lots of different ways sometimes to form up a given piece of concrete or to put on a roof. And when, when a team understands a way to do things, I make more money because of order. It's, it's productive. It produces. It, it brings peace. It brings harmony. It eliminates frustrations. It eliminates arguments every morning as to who's in charge today or how are we going to do it this time. A certain amount of systems and order and procedure help smooth things out. That's just a practical way you understand that. In schools, very important. You have a whole bunch of energetic 
children that just if they aren't kept in order, it's just chaotic and loud and all different directions. But when a teacher can bring them into an orderly manner and put them in rows and make them be quiet and get their books out, they learn. They thrive in that quiet order. They're secure. They're happy. They're peaceful. There's order in government. Order, you watched, many of you I'm sure heard, watched, seen about the defund the police movement in the last year or two. And the la- the la- basically the lack of support for law enforcement to enforce laws that were already there. They weren't going out making new laws, just trying to enforce. And we saw what happened in Portland and Seattle. Riots and destruction and chaos. And we understand in that content the, the need for law and order, we call it. It's a law with order to, to enforce some certain amount of order and behavior. In Haiti right now, it's very chaotic. The, the order is not there. The, the police can't control. The people have taken over the gangs and they have stormed the camp compound. They're just destruction and fear and hunger and pain and all the opposite things that order in the Garden of Eden brought the opposite when it's missing is produced. There's much suffering. What about order in the church? And uh, is that necessary? Um, so honestly, it feels like a pretty uh, unpopular subject um, nowadays. And so I'll, I'll try to share my heart on it a little bit and be careful at the same time. But I notice a lot of people that are dogmatic about how we need law and order in almost every area, other area of life. When it comes to the church, are resistant. Don't want it. Don't need it. It's all spiritualized. And maybe even to the point where law, say law, uh, order, of any kind, structure is kind of, uh, it deadens, it suffocates, it takes the life out of a church if you try to have order. And so the answer to keep spiritual life up is to just keep getting rid of things. Just, just get rid of more structure and it will free everything up and the spirit can move and we can uh, be spiritual. And I want to say, uh, mixed in here, that I, I think, just like I said before, order can be done in a cold and a heartless and a dead way that suffocates the life of a home or a church. But I think we still need to stand on and recognize that order is needed. It's needed in all areas of life with humans working together. And I want to just point out a few things. I'm not going to look up all these ver- uh, references here, but in the early church in Acts, 
The Spirit of God in Pentecost came down on the people. They were filled with the Spirit. What more could have they wanted? Life should have just went on. But it wasn't too many chapters in, I think chapter 6, and these Spirit-filled Christians were murmuring. They had needs. There was things not being met. And so they, they came together and they talked. And through that process, they ordained deacons to try to help with some of these practical needs in the church. And you get a little bit further into Acts 15, and these same spirit-filled leaders now are having a disagreement. They're sorting through real-life issues. And some felt that Christians, Gentile Christians should need to do this, and others felt like they shouldn't. They, there wasn't an agreement. They could have just started two churches, I suppose, um, but they didn't. They got together. They talked about it. They worked through it. And by the time they got done, they let some things go. And they adopted some other things. And they wrote them down and they sent them to the churches. And it says that all the churches, there was peace. And there was harmony. And there was order restored. And I think there's a lot of good examples in there. In 1 Corinthians, we know that is chapter 11 is what we call the headship covering. Where we get the... the, uh, teaching on the women's covering. But the whole, almost the whole book of 1 Corinthians and a lot, a lot of the others is in a sense a, a, a book of Paul trying to bring order to a church in a good way, just practical things. He starts out in the beginning of Corinthians and he talks about Jesus Christ being the foundation. But as he goes into that, he gives advice on Marriage. He gets into chapter 11. He gives advice on the order of the man and the woman. He gives advice in chapter 11 on um, order in the church and the different parts of the body. And in chapter 12, no, maybe that's chapter 12. And then chapter 14, he talks about the different gifts, the speaking in tongues and the prophesying and, and a lot of different things. And in, those, in that chapter, I want to read you a couple verses there. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, it says, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in, as in the church of the saints. And verse 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. And that was, that was Paul's address to the Corinthian church in this, in, in grappling with how should a service be and should they speak in tongues or shouldn't they? And so they worked through all those things. Now, the one thing I want to bring up again that I think is very important, sandwiched in 1 Corinthians, the book, is chapter 13. And I think, again, it is a reminder. It is a, that order is always tempered by love and life and the Spirit of God. And I think that is a, a beautiful chapter. In a way, it always seems like it's like, did, did he mean to get it there? He's talking about the church and then Corinthians and then back to other things in the church. But I think it is, again, the life, the warmth, the heart of order in a church is charity, the love. Now, one other subject that ties in almost to all aspects of order that I talked about, whether we're talking the home, the school, church, businesses, any order, group of people, is the thorny subject of authority. 
And I want to mention a little bit about authority here this morning. Because it is a very, I didn't make it up, God did. It's from the very beginning, Adam and Eve was put in charge of the garden. There, there needed to be some kind of looking after and authority. Paul told Titus in Titus 1, he said, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I has appointed thee. And I think there again it was just one of the first things that Paul told Titus to do, is go, you need to ordain some people to lead out um, and help bring order to these churches. Now, order, I mean uh, authority. I think this is where a lot of times we get off track in, in all the areas of life, in church life, in marriages, in husbands and wives. It's, it's where it breaks down. You know, God created authority as one of the key elements to bring harmony and peace and productivity. But why is it that that is often at the heart of so, so many conflicts in, in all of these? It's true in the government. There's constantly upheaval about the government authority. In businesses and in job sites, it's something that it just seems like it's something that crops up. A bit of a power struggle between people. And, and you know better, some of you know better than me in churches and in homes and in marriages, this thing of authority and who's in charge. And I read you that word submit and who's going to submit to who. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways. Some people would feel like the problem surrounding authority is maybe that the one in authority, the one in authority feels like people don't respect, don't obey like they should. Um, there's a, a spirit of lawlessness. I just heard a, a man say that, not from here. That it just seems like among the churches there's a, there's a spirit of lawlessness. Oh, is that right? Is that the problem? Um, others say the, the, one, the ones under authority often feel like, well, authority is too oppressive. It's, it's a top-down. It's abuse. It's just a handing down, um, saying how it will be, going on a power trip. Is that the problem? Maybe that's the problem. And then others still would say that the authority is, in a given situation is not doing their job. They should do more. They should crack the whip. They should clean it up, take charge. And, you know, the reality is it's a very fine line to walk. And, and I don't know as a father, as in, in a lot of areas, always how to walk that. I'm sure I abuse it at times, misuse it, neglect it. But I think we still need to hang on and respect that this is God's plan. This is the way He set it up. It is He He is the one. It is His world. It is His homes. It is His church. And what was the problem with Adam and Eve that fell out of order? Was that her fault? Was it His fault? Um, who failed in that headship order? Well, I think I think they both did. And that, that probably will get talked about a little bit more. But Eve stepped out of the protection of her husband. God had told Adam, don't eat of that fruit. And Eve, 
I think she knew it probably, but for whatever reason, she was enticed. The Bible says she was deceived. Then she handed it to Adam. She failed. Adam had a judgment call to make. When his wife, beautiful wife, was holding out that fruit, what's he going to do? How many of you men like to go against your wife? You know she wants it. She wants it bad. But it's not right. God said it's not right. Adam chose his wife. He didn't want to put up with that. He would rather put up with God's disapproval. And order was all, nobody stayed in their proper order. They, all, they both failed. Jesus gives some teaching on authority. And I, I think we're getting, I want you to listen to this part. In Matthew 20, he says it in Luke as well, but I want to read a few verses in Matthew 20. The disciples were, were struggling with who's in charge, who's going to be the greatest, how are we going to work this out? They had lived, it seemed like, in relative contentment to be one of the twelve under Jesus. But I don't know if they sensed the time that Jesus was going to be moving on and someone was going to have to be kind of leading out in this thing or what. But this discussion came up as who's going to be in charge, who's going to be the greatest. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 24. I'll read a few verses here. And when the ten heard, and so two of them were talking, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus was saying that the the authority of the Gentiles, and I would just say that I think this is where often the problems come, where there's a hybrid between the authority of the Gentiles and, and Christ's authority. And we don't mean to do it, we just default to do it. And the, the authority of the world... The Gentile authority is that I'm the boss and when I'm in authority. And it is, I dominate. I call the shots. It's up to me. It's uh, when I'm in authority, I'm on top. I get the best. I get the biggest. I drive the nice pickup while my guys do the dirty work. They're under me. That's just the way it is. When I get on the school board and if I'm the chairman, then I'll do things the way that I finally want to. It's my moment because I'm the boss. When I'm ordained into the ministry, I'll tweak things. I'll fix it. I'll do it how I want it. When I get married, there's all kinds of verses to back that up. She'll do whatever I want. I'll take her wherever I want to go. She needs to submit. It says it all over in the Bible. A self-serving authority. Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. Godly authority is entrusted not for personal privilege and advantage, but it is rather a responsibility. 
It is meant to bring order, and it is meant to bring peace, and it is meant to bring authority and protection over those that you are in authority over. And it is the ultimate example of sacrificial love in action. And so I want to circle now back to the home, to the marriage, just briefly, and then we'll close with, the, with this thought in preparation for the next message. But I want to read one more, well, at least one more verse in 1 Corinthians 11.3. And just something for you men, and Lord willing, I plan to preach to the brethren first, the husbands, the men. In 1 Corinthians 11, we think of this as a chapter for our wives. They are to cover their heads, they are to submit, they are to be under proper authority, which all that is true. But let's read verse 3, and I want, want us to think about this. It says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And we can say it this way. I think this is what the Bible is saying. You can tell me if you think it's wrong. But as God the Father is over His Son, Jesus Christ, you think about that relationship. As Christ was over, is over man and the church and that relationship, so it should be between the husband and the wife. As God the Father with his son Jesus Christ, the father looked down. They were one. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the son said, I only speak and do the things of my father. They were one. Jesus Christ, the example, yes, the head of the church, head of mankind, the bride, but he served, he healed, he washed her feet. He suffered and died. And he protected and he gave his life for her. There was nothing self-serving in that. There was no benefits in that for himself. So should it be for us husbands in relation to our wives. And that is a little different picture than the authority of the, of the Gentiles that that sit on the recliner and have the pie brought to me and I'm served and my feet are washed. It is being responsible and being the leader in the home and being willing to do the dirty work and being willing to serve. The great, if you're going to be great, you will serve. And yes, I am not, and we will get to that, Lord willing, there is still authority. There is still the matter of submission. There's all those things that need to be worked out. But I think it is so important that we get that foundational premise correct before we can make all these other applications. And it starts with us men, I believe, first. To have a, to have a godly home, we by far lead out in, in that responsibility. Young people, you're sitting off to the side, just listening. Maybe you don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I would just like to say one thing, that it's, never, it's not too early to start investing in your marriage. 
in case you have one. You might not have one, that's all right. But either way, start investing in it now. It'll make a tremendous difference. The character that you are, the life that you live as a single person. It'll be a gift to your spouse if you ever get married and a blessing to yourself if you will invest in that now. God bless you. Let's have a song.